Well, good morning. Glad to see you all. Um, if you're new here, one of the things that we usually say is that we'd love to get to know you, mean that, with everything we are, and kind of an agenda we have, just want to be very upfront with you, is um, the Bible says it's not good for man. And he's talking about all mankind when he says that, and that doesn't mean just dudes, it means everyone. It's not good for man to be alone. So there's this disclaimer at the very beginning of the scriptures that God actually says that while he loves you, wants to be connected to you, there is something else missing even in that relationship because God says it's not good to be alone and we happen to believe what God says around here. And so usually what we talk about is just, hey, we'd love to get to know you. Actually, so our agenda is trying to convince you just right up front that if you're not a part of this place, we think you should be. And you don't have to believe all the stuff we believe yet, not to behave a certain way. You are welcome to belong here long before you become whatever you, you think God wants you to be. You're welcome now and would love for you to be a part of it. And usually what we point to is, hey, every, um, every Wednesday we get back together for a meal because there's just something about throughout human history and the Bible, this idea of what's called tabling, that's fellowship, that's people having food together. So every week on Wednesday night we eat together at 5.30. Uh, a couple hundred of us show up and do that and would love for you um, to do that. In fact, I double dog dare you with sugar and a cherry on top. I think I mixed up some metaphors there, but either way, would love, love, love for you to come do that. Now, while I'm saying that this week, and I think you should, and there's actually a specific reason this week, is um, we offer different Bible classes, got some real good stuff off, uh, offering this week, but another thing that I will actually get the uh, opportunity to kind of participate in uh, is share with you a little bit what's going on in the fall, and there's a reason for that, and that's because— um, this is our last time we'll meet for Connect on Wednesday throughout the summer. Um, we don't really take a break, but we do kind of hit the reset button to kind of get ready for the fall. And so we will not meet any in July or the first week in August. And we'll start back the second week of August with all sorts of fun stuff um, prepared for us getting ready to help Lincoln University students move back in. So that'll come really fast. So this will be the very last Wednesday we will meet for Connect on Wednesday. So if you're brand new, please, please, please show up this week. Have a meal with us uh, and get connected. And then uh, we'll take about six weeks off and get back on August 14th. Okay. Now, um, while that's going on, there will still be plenty of opportunities for you to connect all summer. I want to make sure that happens, and let me just highlight two very specifically. We're bringing back what's called Fourth Friday Flicks. That's where you can pull up in the parking lot. You can turn your uh, radio dial to a certain station and sit in the parking lot and watch a gigantic 50-foot movie screen. And this Friday night, we host that again, and we'll do it the fourth Friday of um, months in June, July, August, probably even September. And this Friday night is the original Toy Story, right? Number four is out. 20 or so years ago, the first one hit the box office, and it was great and really good nostalgic thing. You know, it's crazy. It's, my kiddos have seen three, but they haven't seen one, so looking forward to showing that. So that will be uh, about dust, so we'll probably fire the movie up right at 9 o'clock this uh, Friday night. And it, this event's rain or shine. Um, one thing we realized last year is we hated the inconsistency of having to predict the weather. And so if the weather's good, it'll be outside. But don't worry, if the weather's not good, we have, a, we have a secondary screen that's not quite as big as the first screen, but it still goes from wall to wall here. It's only about 35 feet. Sorry, guys. And it will, um, it'll go right here, and we'll turn this place into a movie theater, okay? So either way, outside, inside, really great time to come uh, and watch Toy Story. Now, this is a bring-your-own um, refreshments, concessions. Yeah, so there's a Sunoco just down the road, so stop and get every you want, everything you want there, bring it here, and just enjoy completely free, everything free, and invite your neighbors. Um, so that's going on there. In fact, that's very intentional to us. We actually want to be a place that, uh, that our community loves and feels connected to, even if they don't go to church here. And so we have 60 acres here trying to be a good steward. I'll share with you more about the upcoming events or plans and all that this Wednesday night. 
but want to start doing those things. So that is this Friday night, okay? So Wednesday, last Cal, this Friday night, uh, fourth Friday, flicks. And then next Wednesday, we don't have Cal, but we do have fireworks. So it's on July 3rd, right about 9 o'clock, so it'll be dark. You'll be able to pull up, sit in the parking lot, sit out in the grass, and kind of to our right out here in the front side of the parking lot where the ball field is, we will shoot fireworks for a long time. Last year, probably one of my favorite events because, you know, you go to the different places, and there's lots of great uh, community fireworks events, but I can't really let my kids just kind of run around, you know, because there's 20,000 people, and there's a long time to get out of the parking lots and traffic and all those things, and so it's really neat to see my t- uh, nine-year-old at the time, almost 10-year-old, running around and enjoying his friends and doing that, and so again, bring your own refreshments to that. Bring your own fire pit if you'd like. Come enjoy it. Show up a little early. Hang out. Make some new friends. Fireworks on uh, next Wednesday. So this Wednesday, Last Cow. Uh, then this Friday is Fourth Friday Flicks, the original Toy Story, and then next Wednesday is... Um, uh, the fireworks celebration, and then we'll take a few weeks off for Cal. So that's all that's going on right here in the next few weeks. We'll update you. There's a lot more going on. And one thing, can't permit, no promises here, okay? Um, we haven't even decided the movies for the next two or three. We're trying to figure out what other, like, movies in the park are doing. We knew we wanted to start with Toy Story. So if you have some good suggestions um, that are family-friendly and appropriate, uh, uh, feel free to write them on the, on the back of your uh, bulletin, those, that comment area. Can't promise we'll play it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And why I'm talking about the back of the bulletin, if you're brand new here, not ready to show up on a Wednesday, but you are ready to start talking to someone about what it'd be like to connect here, or just like talk to a pastor, ask some questions, on the back of that bulletin, if you just mark your, write your name down in whatever way you'd like to be contacted, if that's uh, email, phone call, or text, just jot that in there and let us know. And someone will be happy to get back in touch with you. I had a delay this Wednesday, this week, so love to do that. Got some things you want us to pray for? You can jot those down too. Every Tuesday, our staff kind of gets together, and we pray about those things. And we have prayer warriors all over our church that get that same list and are praying as well. So please, please let us do those things. That's all the commercials for today. And uh, so we're back in a, a, what we call a sermon series. That just means we're taking several weeks to kind of talk through a topic. And where we've been for quite some time is actually just starting back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, which means in the beginning, and kind of just working through the scriptures and making some observations about them. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's kind of a confusing thing because um, it's not just one book. It's actually 66 different books kind of combined together to tell just one story, right? And the story is how the world was created and how humanity showed up and then how broken humanity is, right? So if you have some observations in your world, we're going, yeah, the world seems pretty broken. Yep, Genesis 2 and 3 kind of outline how that begins. We've just kind of been working through that. And yet, at the same time, we've seen throughout the scriptures that this story is not just that God created the world and it got broken and everyone made mistakes, but that there actually was a hero of the story. So you're really interested in those Avenger movies or all the superhero movies, and they all start the same. There was a perfect world, and there was a villain who made things bad, And then all the people go, what are we going to do? Who's going to save us? And what all the people know is no one kind of in the realm has powerful enough, has the right gifts or skills or all the supernatural needs that are necessary to save the world. And so they look to this, this hero, this superhero, right? And then eventually the superhero jumps in and saves the day. But the interesting thing about the superheroes, they never show up early. Have you noticed that? Right? They never, ever show up early, but they also don't show up too late. Really interesting timing there. And then the superhero swoops in, saves the day, and then all of a sudden you see the world restored to its original plan. You like those movies. We all like those movies. And that's how Westerners work, Westerns work. That's how all superhero movies work. That's actually how all rom-coms work. It's kind of this same narrative. And I would just argue the reason that narrative's there is because it's hardwired in us. Because in the beginning we were created to, to live in this beautiful world and enjoy it. Right? 
And yet, uh, because of our behavior and what the Old Testament tells us, that's the first part of the Bible, uh, written 39 books over about 1,400 years of time, uh, that during that time, right, uh, humankind, they said, hey, we don't really care if there's a creator or designer. We're going to do things our own way. Same thing we've done. We've said to God, either because we don't believe God exists or because we're not that interested in him and we like our way better. Hey, God, if you're real, we're not really interested in your plan. We like our plan better. That's called sin. And what sin did, it just created a really broken world, right? Think about all the superhero movies. Think about the bad guys. And there's just a world that's really broken. And yet the story of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is all about this this great redeemer who's going to come in and save the day, right? There's a hero who's coming. He probably isn't going to show up early, but he won't show up late. And he's going to come in, and he's going to make all things right new. And he's literally going to do all the work, pay all the price to bring his children back to him, to adopt him is what the Bible says. And not only does he do that, not only does he redeem humankind if we so let him, but he also then gives us a purpose again that he'll participate in the redemption and restoration of this entire world. So now all of a sudden, not only does God save us through his son Jesus, you'll learn more about today, but he also gives us a purpose again, right? It's not just about making some money, putting it in the bank, building the house, and arriving safely at death, which is about what most of our big goals are, comfort at the end for as long as possible till we die comfortably in our own bed, right? That's our big dreams. And yet, we all know those are some pretty sad dreams. And so the, the, the story of the Bible and the story of the gospel is that God comes back and not only saves us, but then redeems us and gives us a hope and a future and actually something to work on and tinker with and participate in for the rest of our life. And by the way, for all eternity. So the Bible is that story, not 66 books on how you better behave. In fact, very little of the Bible has to do with behavior and how you should behave. It actually has to, most of the Bible is trying to convince you that you can't behave as well as you think you can. And we know that, right? We talk about it all the time. You are long gone from 2019's New Year's resolutions, right? You spent four or 500 bucks too much on your gym membership already, right? So just part of the natural part of how broken and messy we are, we can't even keep our own rules. So how in the world would we be able to keep, keep God's rules? And so the whole Bible kind of goes, you can't follow the rules. You can't fix yourself, but that's okay. There's a God who can. And so that starts in Genesis. And basically the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis basically outline that brokenness. That God starts with a family and goes, human growth and development happens with a family. And within the first two kids, there's murder and mayhem and alienation and all those different broken things. And then it just gets worse from there. And we see two or three resets that happen in the scriptures. We see it with the story of Noah, where God literally wipes out the entire planet and starts again with one family. And not too long after that family gets going, it gets messed up as well. Then we see it a little bit later with Noah's descendants, and there's this Tower of Babel where they go, we can build this thing for ourselves. We will be like God. We will be impressive. We'll make a name for ourselves. And we see that God thwarts those plans going, that is not going to save you either. So for the first 11 chapters, it's just humankind trying to be in control of their own life, and it never goes well. But then you get to Genesis chapter 12. This is beautiful. And everything changes. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. Everything changes. God basically says to all of humankind, look guys, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. You are not going to be able to build a ladder tall enough to get back to me. You're not going to be able to perform great enough and you will destroy your own lives. And what we see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is that they practice a lot of different religions. And here, here's how I define religion. Religion is man's attempt to either get back to God or become their own God. 
And for 11 straight chapters, over hundreds and hundreds of years, humankind keeps messing that up. And so God does something unique in chapter 12. He takes away the contract. There's no, he, he rips it up. There's no, if you behave, life will be good for you. If you behave, you'll have grace. There is nothing there. And instead, in Genesis chapter 12, God implements something amazing. And it's called a covenant. And what a covenant is, which is different than a contract, is contract has stipulations. If you do your part, I do my part. It's like a loan. If I pay the bill, I keep my car. The minute I stop paying, the tow truck shows up, right? Those are, that's a contract. That means you have a deal, we have a deal. It's quid pro quo. You perform, I perform, right? Which is why half of marriages end in divorce, because it's the same thing. You perform, I'll say I'll love you. If you stop performing, I'll stop loving you, right? And so this idea of a contract is it's about both parties performing correctly. And God goes... The problem with a contract is you and I are not, you and I are not capable of performing correctly. And so God does something different. It's called a covenant. It is a promise. It is a guarantee. And it's not based on stipulations. And he starts with this dude named Abram, who he changes to Abraham. Don't get too confused about that. It means daddy. And then it means big daddy. And he says, I am going to make a promise to you. And you're going to be the father of many nations. And I'm going to bless you. And so a family system didn't work. So let's build a nation. And you're going to be the father. And it's going to go really, really well. But not because you're really good, Abraham. Because you're going to mess it up. But God goes, I will. And when he says, I will, he means it every time. And kind of the big idea that we saw last week is uh, God's will starts with God will. Right? The idea of God having his way in your life isn't about you doing it right. It's about God always, always doing what he says he will do. And so he says, tells Abram he's going to bless him and make him a great nation. And Abram does some pretty messed up stuff. And, and couple of different points he lies, or one point in particular he lies and calls his wife, his sister, and gives her away to a king. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Go ahead, you can raise it. It's a safe place, right? You understand how broken that is? Like we go, this is the guy that God decided to start the whole blessings with, the covenant with, is a guy who gives his wife away to protect himself. So in some ways, hope you find some relief in that, of God chooses a really broken dude. Again, it's not because, it's because God's not expecting him to perform so good for God to offer blessings. It's just what God does, right? And so another time, it really, really is messed up because God says, hey, how all this is going to happen, the promise I'm going to give you, it's actually going to come through your offspring, meaning you're going to have a kiddo. And Abraham's like, oh God, I'm 75, and so is Sarah. That's his wife. That's uh, post-menopause, right? And so, God, I'm not really sure how all that's going to work. And they kind of laugh at God. But then, but then Abraham knows, okay, if all this promise is going to come through this baby, a really messed up thing happens. After, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and they don't have a kid, 30 years, they don't have a kid, finally they concoct their own plan. You know what Abraham does? He takes a slave, because, you know, he's not a very good dude, right? He takes a maidservant from his wife, sleeps with her, and has a baby through, through her. So not only has he already given his wife away to a king, he's now committed adultery and impregnated another woman. And then this baby grows up. His name's Ishmael. Could you imagine how complicated it is for him? And so he's got a dad who kind of cares about him, but he's got a stepmom or mom who hates him. And then he's got a real mom, the maidservant, all sorts of complications, right? And Abram doesn't even trust God's plan. And to the point where um, Ishmael and his family gets kind of excommunicated. Now they're blessed, they're taken care of, they're all kinds of stuff, but literally gets kicked out of the household. By the way, if you look at the... the um, the worldview of Islam, it traces its roots and its founder to Ishmael. That's why Judaism, Christianity, and um, Islam all see Father Abraham as the father. 
So this whole lineage, this whole thing that we're talking about thousands of years later, all starts with this thing. So there are ramifications and complications for all this. And so then finally, 30 or 40 years later, God does what he promised. Remember, it's not because Abraham did everything right, because he didn't. It's not because we do everything right, because we don't. But God kept his covenant and his promise. And when Sarah was about 100 years old, and Abraham was about 100 years old, they had a baby. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter, right? Because this is funny, right? Because here's, here's why this is funny. All three of them were in diapers at the same time. <laughs> See? That's funny. Mildly inappropriate, but it's funny, right? And so they have this little baby, and it is Abraham's treasure. Think about it. He's old and he's rich. He's not working anymore. You know what he's doing? He is hanging out with his kid. I was reading, I don't know, I listened to a, doc, a podcast years ago about David Letterman finishing up getting retired and then moving out to Montana. You know what he did every day? He had a young son. He's on his old age. He spent every waking minute just hanging out with that kid because he could, right? And so you've got to understand, Abraham has all, this huge household and all these people doing all this work, and he is rich. And so he is retired, and he retired wealthy, and it's just him and Isaac, and boy, does he treasure him. And that's where the story starts today. And just to be honest with you, in Genesis chapter 22, this is a broken, broken, complicated story. I mean, it is crazy what happens here. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you aren't. So let me just kind of tell you what's about to happen here and then work you through it, okay? God's going to tell Abraham to sacrifice his son. This is a baby or a human sacrifice. God is going to tell Abraham, this is so broken, your treasure the thing and the boy that you most value, the one that you've looked for for your whole life and you've clung to the hope and the promise of, now that you have him, I'm going to take him away. And not only am I going to take him away, it's going to be at your hands. He literally says, I want you to turn him into a burnt offering. If you know anything about how burnt sacrifices happen, this is, it's gruesome. You literally chop up an animal, an animal or whatever it is, to small parts and then put it on a fire and light the whole thing on fire. So this began long before, we see this with Cain and Abel, generations back, where basically what would happen is uh, these two guys, Cain and Abel, they came and made sacrifices to God based on what they had. Some, one of them, the farmer just kind of threw some of his lot towards God, some corn and, I don't know, some cucumbers, right? Here, God, pickle these, right? Now the other one, the other one, he gave a beautiful sacrifice of his very firstborn. So the firstborn animal, the only one he was guaranteed at that point, didn't have any more animals come. He took it and he slaughtered it and he made a sacrifice to God. And it sounds really strange, but the reason they made sacrifices is to acknowledge that humankind was broken, to acknowledge that innocence pays the price for that sacrifice. It happened very beginning with Adam and Eve. When they sinned against God, they realized they were naked and God slaughters an innocent animal and puts leather clothes on them. Seems so weird and so strange. But throughout history, there's been this understanding that you sacrifice your firstborn animals because what you're saying there is, God, you're greater than this thing. You, the, I don't provide for myself. You provide for me. And so this is, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his first son, which leads to kind of the second part of last week's big idea, which was this. Uh, not only does God's will start with God will, talk to, specifically to uh, dads, but for all parents and all caretakers, and this is kind of what we said and talked about it last week. Your number one responsibility as a parent is not to protect or provide for your kids, which is what you believe it is. It's what we all believe it is. My job as a dad is to protect my kiddos and provide for them, right? They can trust daddy. They can trust daddy. He will pay the bills. He'll work hard. But the reality is I'm not the one who actually protects or provides for them. I think I do, and you think you do. But we're actually a conduit of 
God's provision and protection, right? Really, where does my money come from? Education? Experience? No, it's because God was gracious enough to me to give me a job. I get to get to do these things for you. God provides. And so we are actually a conduit of God's protection and provision. So our number one priority as parents is not to protect or provide for our kids. Our number one priority is actually to model a faith that says God will. Our number one priority is the model of faith that goes, we can trust God no matter what. And we see this with Abraham and his story and the brokenness of his story is not only what God's will says that God will, you can trust that, but our priority in life is to have faith in God, which means our priority in life is to obey. So if that's our priority, so you can imagine how complicated this is going to be for Abraham because God tells him to make a sacrifice, which means to slaughter his firstborn. And remember, Abraham's number one priority in all of this is to obey. Which leads to the big idea today that we'll work through for the rest of the time is this. You are not responsible. Hear me. You are not responsible for the discomfort or pain your obedience to God causes other people. Hear me. You are not responsible for the discomfort your obedience to God causes other people. Because a lot of us make our decisions about, oh, that, makes them, that will be just uncomfortable. Boy, that will create some discomfort. Hey, hey you're not responsible. You're not responsible for the pain or discomfort your obedience to God causes other people. Because you go, man, Abraham's about to do some real damage to his son. Talking about family of origin issues. Isaac is about to die, right? And even if he comes back to life, which by the way, he's not going to die, okay? But even if he comes back to life, can you imagine the ramifications of having a daddy tie you up and raise a knife and about to slit your throat, right? A whole world of damage. And yet, you are not responsible. We are not responsible for the discomfort or pain our obedience to God causes other people. And you'll see how this works out. And here's a really neat thing, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a foreshadowing and giving you the end first. Many times, that discomfort that's created as a result of your obedience is actually what strengthens someone else's faith. Many times, that discomfort or pain that's created as a result of your obedience is what actually strengthens someone else's faith. About seven years ago, we had planted a really beautiful church with a really great congregation in northwest Georgia, and we loved those people. Loved them, loved them, loved them. Loved our staff, loved everything about it. Loved it. I had a beautiful farm, and animals, had lots of influence in this little bitty redneck city, and it was glorious. And um, God told us to leave. Told us to leave. And we actually were offered a position out in Montana, had Hunter called, kind of out of the blue, worked through the details of that. And we, moved, we went out there and visited and felt like God was telling us to leave, and we came back and said, no, we can't leave. These people will do too much damage. These are the people that trust us, all that kind of stuff. And literally declined the job. And then about two weeks, Julie and I just wrestled with it. We think, were we supposed to do that? Like, felt like God gave us some clarity, but we didn't want to do it. And then finally, two weeks later, they reached back out. And finally, we made a decision to go, and it was painful. It was even more painful for the staff and the church that we left. Like, we just abandoned them. Like, this was like a baby. We, this, this church starting in, our, starting in our living room. Five, six years later, we had just bought this huge shopping center for, for the area with multiple, like, tenants already in. I mean, there was all sorts of stuff going on. In the middle of purchasing this, God tells us to leave. In the middle of moving from our temporary place to our permanent place, we're, we're out. We're saying bye while they're having to deal with all the residual complications of being in a certain location, taking all the stuff down and moving. And as you know me, I'm the mover of the group, and the others were the sustainers of the group. And so in the middle of this chaos, uh, it was really, really hard. And I imagine and know that it was really, really painful for many of those folks. 
You know, I look back five years later, and I'm amazed at that church. And I am so amazed at the pastor, a great, great friend of ours, and how he's led, and the things that he has done there, which I could have never done. And the growth has happened in him and that community as a result of me just getting out of the way. If anything, I was a little bit of a bottleneck for some of the folks underneath me's growth. And so I look back and go, it's actually that discomfort and pain that created this really, really beautiful church in this little northwest Georgia area that I'm so proud of. Not because I did anything, but because God did it through people. So again, we are not responsible for the discomfort or pain that our obedience to God causes other people. And with that in mind, let's jump into Genesis chapter 22. And this is a messy story. So uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So there's a thesis, God's going to test Abraham. And we know that this sometime later is several years after Isaac's birth. So remember, laughter, everybody's in diapers. This is about 15 years later. Which is interesting because we hear the story of Isaac. If you hear it, you think of this little baby. Nope. Most scholars say that he's probably 15 or greater. So adolescents are older. This is pretty complicated, and you'll see why in just a second. He said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham. So he calls him out, which is really interesting, and watch Abraham's response. Here I am, replied. There's been several different times that God's called out to people, uh, particularly when he calls out to Adam and Eve. He goes, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they're hiding and cowering. This is the exact opposite of that. This guy's literally standing, ready to go. In fact, that he, this isn't a Hebrew word for, hey God, what's up God? It literally means I stand ready for your command. So God calls out to Abraham, and at this point, you know, he's had the baby. He's had the grace. So he knows God does what he says he's going to do. So he goes, here I am. What do you want me to do next? Which is really awesome, because I don't know that I'd feel that way. Remember, uh, years earlier, he says to Abraham, go to the land that I'll show you. We're still in the middle of that complication 40 years later, and here Abraham is still going, yep. What do you got next for me, God? What do you got next for me? Pretty interesting response. Verse 2, and everything changes here. Then God said, take your son, your only son. Really important that they clarify that for us. Whom you love. Remember, Ishmael's gone. Only son. Bloodline that God promised. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. By the way, this is really important that we understand this. This isn't someone that uh, they hate. I was actually talking to a friend who I've I've pretended that I'm going to call them up on stage and make them teach. I'm just saying, be ready. I'm telling the pastor and say, I don't know. One of these weeks, God's just going to call me to tell you to be up on stage and teach. And so you can imagine that creates some anxiety. And so they were um, doing some research on this. And they were like, I can do this message because if God asked me to sacrifice one of my kids, I'm ready, you know? So they were joking. I'm pretty certain they were joking. I I mean, I'm a mandated reporter, so don't worry. I called and uh, all those things. But in this, it's really important that it says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. So it even says, he loves and treasures this boy, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there on a, as a burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. So remember before, go to land, I'll show you. So now he's going to send him, and this is what's interesting. This is a pretty good trek from where he is. So land of Moriah, this is about 50 miles or more from where Abraham currently is set up. This is really interesting as you go. Why well, don't you send him someplace closer? Why don't you just tell him to kill him there? There's all sorts of stuff going on here. He literally makes uh, Abraham take his son on a 50-mile journey. Look, this isn't even an Amish journey. They don't have even, like, you know, wagons. Do you know how long it takes to trek 50 miles with everything you need? So, by the way, this is another, so I don't clear up the cliffhanger. That, um, the mountains of Moriah happened to also be uh, one other person shows up there much later in scriptures, about 18, 1900 years later. The mountains of Moriah happen to be called in, a different, in the New Testament Calvary. So this same mountain that this boy is about to be slaughtered on is the same mountain that 
1,900 years later. Now, Moses wouldn't have known this. Old Testament writers wouldn't have known this. The same exact mountain range where Jesus will also carry up a cross and die. Really important that you understand foundation of what's going on here. So God literally sends him 50 miles with this kid. And notice, there's no conversation. He just tells him what to do. And watch what the next verse says. Early the next morning, Abraham, I'm sorry. Yeah, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Notice this. So he takes off. It says early the next morning. There's no conversation. He doesn't ask God why. He just gets up the next day. He grabs a couple of servants. And he starts preparing the wood that's necessary. Do you understand how broken and crazy this is? And if you're not a Christian, you're going, yeah, see, that's not a God I'm interested in. I understand you and probably would agree with you. Looking at it from your context. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is murder. Now, this is a little different than God telling Abraham to kill Sarah. Just so you understand. Because killing Sarah would have been murder. And Abraham would be like, there's no way. But the fact that God asked for the firstborn, Abraham understands the brokenness of our society and understands the sacrifice is necessary. So he's working through this in a different way, seeing it as his firstborn, the same way he slaughtered all the time the firstborn of all of his livestock. Now, he's shocked, probably. But he gets up and he starts the thing. Now, early next morning, and then watch this, verse 4. Don't want us to miss this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Notice this. So for a couple of days, he's just been preparing. And it's really just to read that and think, oh, it's a quick verse, get over it. Could you imagine 48 hours of chopping wood thinking my son's going to burn to death on this? So he got a call from God. And now he's operating in obedience. And it's really important, the scriptures even say, on the third day. This is a really important reason to do this. And this is an interesting thing that happens in church. And uh, let me just give you behind the scenes um, from being a staff member. Here are every other church I've been at there's always these like great calls we do from the stage. Hey, we're going to go love Lincoln University and move in all the freshmen. Hey, we're going to downtown Oxford and we're going to love the community. Hey, we're going to have this huge VBS, whatever it is, right? All these different things. And usually what happens is people in where you're sitting get really excited about it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Or we'll go, hey, who's ready to really give their life to Jesus? Just let us know. No more. I want to talk to someone about Jesus. I want to talk about the relationship, okay? So that gets filled out, gets put in a bulletin. On the way out, there's some offering baskets that people drop those things in all the time, right? But it, one of the interesting things is um, staff becomes a little bit, or I'm, I'll speak on top, behalf of me. In the past, I've become a little bit ambivalent to those responses. Because here's what I know. That emotion that we feel on Sunday and that hoorah, hooray, let's chase, go out into hell with our water guns kind of thing, right? About three days later, that same emotion's not there anymore right? We start counting the cost and going, well, I said I could do that, but I forgot I had this and this and this. And so the, the correspondence back when we reach out is probably maybe 25 to 33 percent, maybe 50 on a, on a really great deal, right? Because we understand that when we make decisions emotionally, which we all do, no, no judgment there. Boy, if I bought some things I wish I wouldn't have in that emotion, right? We make some decisions emotionally. By the time we get to the third day, we're just not, we're not really, really committed to it anymore. So this is crazy. Abraham has now had two days, and this is going, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to obey God no matter what. i I be honest with you, I don't know. In fact, I, let me tell you this. I don't think I could do this. I'm pretty certain I'd say no to God here. I just couldn't imagine. Love my boy. Love my boy, right? Love him. I love all my kids, but I love my boy, my firstborn. Couldn't imagine it. On the third day, Abraham looked up in the distance and saw it, right? Place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now watch this. We will worship. 
Really interesting term here. God, he's actually going, we're going to worship God. Meaning we're going to go lay ourselves before him and say, God, you're greater than all of our things. God, you're our most prized possession. God, you are the keeper and sustainer of life. He says, we'll worship. And now watch this. Then we will come back to you. Is Abraham lying? You think he's telling the servants right then that he knows he's not actually coming back and he's lying to them? You think that's what's going on here? No. It's really interesting. In the New Testament, a writer for the book of Hebrews, not sure exactly the author is, gives us some insight here. In Hebrews 11, chapter 9, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So we don't know what Abraham's thinking here, and we don't know for thousands of years, but finally in the New Testament, it actually tells us what Abraham's thinking here. So he's obeying God, but he's not thinking he's losing his boy forever. See what he thinks? He thinks his boy's going to come back to life. And it says, and, uh, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So Abraham is walking in faith, but he thinks the solution to this is he's going to still have to murder his kid. Chop him up into pieces. And light him on fire. Now, imagine this. Even if you're going, God's going to bring him back to life. I don't even like to spank my child. Right? He had, so even in this experience, he's going, we'll bring him back. But what, how are we bringing him back? Like, what, is, what does this look like? So Abraham, in his mind, is thinking God will do something great here. So really important to think this. He's not thinking, I'm going to murder him. He's done forever. But he's thinking he's still going to have to kill his kid. Really important there. So Abraham took the wood. Sorry, I had the so there myself. Um, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Remember, very long trek, 50 miles Isaac's carrying the wood, which means he's a strong young lad. Like, this isn't a baby. This isn't a toddler. This is a grown boy. This is a grown man, probably. This is a teenager, and he is carrying all this wood all that way. No, he doesn't know what's going on. Remember, this is Calvary. Really interesting, same place. So just think about that, the way by which sacrifices happen thousands of years later. We'll talk about that more, but someone carrying their wood up for their sacrifice. Watch this. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, this was his question, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, he knows that this is a normal part of the process. There's a sacrifice. God's greater than these things. God's greater than these things. Something has to atone for the brokenness of our sins, right? In the very beginning, there's always a payment to pay, be paid for sin. Always. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, God slaughtered a lamb to cover him up. And Cain and Abel sinned. One of them died. The other one gets, you know, sent out of Eden. I mean, this is a, or east of Eden. This is a complicated thing. And there is always a price to pay for sin. And even if we're not a Christian, we just have to acknowledge that, right? Like if you, when you're leaving today, back up and you mean to go hit uh, reverse to back out of the parking lot. Instead, you accidentally leave it and drive and you go forward instead of back and you smash the car in front of you. There's a price to be paid. Either you're going to have to pay that. You have to call your insurance company and lose all the time and your premiums going to go up. Or the person's going to feel really uncomfortable making you pay it and they're going to go, no, 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 don't worry about it, Right? But then they're going to pay it, or they're going to drive around with a big broken bumper for the rest of their life until it's fixed, right? No matter what happens, someone always pays the price for whatever the bad thing is. Always. And so what we understand in Scripture is that God says the wages of sin is actually death, meaning something has to die. Something will die. There is an innocent blood that will be shed as a result of the brokenness of our world. And if you look at our world and look at the warfare— 
Even if you watch the things, even from last week, about whether or not we bomb Iran as a result of a drone going down, some of the conversation is how many people die? How many people die and how many of them are innocent? In other words, we know that there are casualties as a result of our broken world. And so in this moment, we see this, and Abraham, Isaac's about to walk up, and he's going, we know something has to be sacrificed, Dad, but where is the sacrifice? Where is the thing that we say, God, you're greater than this? No, he doesn't know that Abraham in this moment is going to say, God, you're greater than my greatest son. You're greater than my most precious treasure. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Here they go. Could you imagine this as a daddy? How do you have conversation? You know how distracted we get when we got to pay that bill or figure that thing out and can't, we're just not present with our kids, present with our spouse, and we got that thing consuming our mind? Could you imagine this long trek, days, trying to keep a happy face? I mean, are you talking about your memories? Are you teaching your kid new lessons? I mean, can you imagine the complications of all this? When they reached the place God had told them about, him about, remember, place I'll send you, 50 miles away. Why in the world did he send you here? I don't know. God told me to go, so we're going. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Same verse. He bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Hey, kid, let's build a fire together. Yep, here goes the kindling, the tender kindling. Okay, here's the, you know, here's the green wood. Here's the seasoned wood. Let's get it all on there. Okay, now climb on top. Remember, this, this kid's a teenager. This kid's a teenager. So imagine this interaction, and this is a real-life story. This isn't folklore, myth, or legend. This is a dad and a son in a horrific moment. Couldn't watch it in a movie, right? So this teenager, and his dad is over the age of 100. He's about 115, 120 here. This teenager could have destroyed his dad. But what does he do? He climbs up on the altar and lets his dad tie him up. You go, gosh, that is so painful. Remember, we are not responsible for the discomfort or the pain that our obedience to God causes other people. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Got to see this moment. Is the boy crying? I would imagine so. Is the daddy crying? Oh, there's snot running out of his nose. This is devastating. It is uncomfortable. And yet he's trying to obey. And in this moment, there is something crazy, crazy about to happen. And so he literally is lifting up his knife. Lifting up his knife. Lifting up his knife. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, watch his response. Here I am, Lord. Remember, steady, standing, ready for command. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You have not made a treasure greater than me. I am your greatest treasure. I now see that. Do not lay a hand on him. Abraham looked up there in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over there and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So in this moment, son's tied up. He's literally about to bring down the hatchet. I mean, we're talking about just gravity here. We're talking about half a second, 
right? We're talking about less time it takes to jump out of an airplane. This kid's about to die. And in that moment, the God of the universe, the angel of the Lord, stands up and says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't do it, don't do it. And then he points to a ram in the thicket. And what's really interesting here, this is how nuanced the scriptures are. Remember, nobody writing this knows about the New Testament. Nobody knows this. Moses knows there's going to be a greater than Abraham, greater than Isaac. Knows there's going to be a gentleman who's going to come save the day. He knows there's going to be a redeemer, but he hasn't worked out all the plans. And in this moment, it says he was caught in the, in the thicket with his horns. You're going, that just says, why does that need to happen? And why is it his horns? This is really important. Because the body's completely unblemished. There's no cuts, no scrapes. And what we understand and what the scriptures tell us is there is a requirement for the sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice, to come without blemish. This is why it's important that Jesus shows up and does not sin at all. There is no tarnish to him or his mind or his soul. And that shows us something. Sin isn't just about your bad behavior and what it does to this world. It's actually about what happens to you. The reason I don't want my kids to misbehave is not because I don't want me to be made look, or me to look bad in our community. It's because I don't want the damage to happen to their soul. The reason I don't want them to see things on television or hear things in their ears, it's not because I'm afraid of the outside world. It's I'm afraid of the blemishes it does to their own souls. And so in this moment, even in this thing, it shows a ram that's going to happen unblemished. But what's really, really neat here, verse 14, it says this. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. You hear this? So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. 1,800 years later, this is the place where the Lord provided. Like this is, this is better than your superhero movie, right? I mean, this is so nuanced. It's written over such a long, beautiful picture of time. God is writing the story of how he's going to save the world through this. And Abraham makes a claim there and stakes it in the ground the same way a cross will go on the ground later and says, this is the place that we will call the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is Moses saying this hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus shows up. He's saying, this is the place the Lord provided. Now, what's even crazier is God is then going to go on to take Isaac, Abraham's uh, boy, and he's going to have twins, Jacob and Esau. And you'll hear about that complicated, broken story, and you're going to see why God's covenant is so important here. And he's going to take them. And through Jacob, that's one of Isaac's sons, is going to be Israel. Jacob's going to become Israel, and he's going to have 12 boys. And they're going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, like the whole nation of Israel. And Isaac is going to be the grandfather of the 12 tribes. Like this guy is a patriarch of a patriarch in terms of how this worldview and all this happens. And I would just offer this. When God tells Abraham to do that, I don't think it's actually just for Abraham. In fact, I'm putting my own words here, not scripture. I think it's probably more for Isaac than it is for Abraham. Right? Because he's the one laying on the altar. He's the one having to sit there and go, I certainly hope, God, you provide. Right? Whatever creates tension is what gets our attention. I can promise you in that moment they had Isaac's attention. And he says, Dad says that the Lord's going to provide. And here I am about to be ransomed. And he's laying there. And then all of a sudden, he hears this booming voice. Doubt he's ever heard that voice before. And he sees the ram provided. And in this moment, what we're seeing is it's actually Abraham's faith and obedience. That caused some discomfort for Isaac for sure. That actually is going to grow Isaac's faith to be the grandfather of, a, of 12 tribes. To be the father of Israel. You know, um, last couple of weeks, or I guess really last month, my body's been really messed up. Um, since September, I did some damage to my ankle and in my own pride and self-reliance and stubbornness, I kept exercising on it, kept playing basketball. And um, about February, I was in a ton of pain. A ton of pain, like just going from my lower back all the way down uh, to my ankle and still stubborn, still trying to play. I'm taping things up that I shouldn't, putting bands on me and making things real tight to take the pressure off. And in the middle of doing that, I'm actually really embarrassed by it. Um, I destroyed a nerve. 
I took a band that I thought was helping, strapped it across my thigh with a pressure point right here that I thought I, thought I had something called, I was told I had something called ITBS, if you're familiar with illatolial uh, band syndrome, and there's this band that runs through your leg similar to the sciatic nerve. And, um, and I thought I, it was really hurting here, and I thought I'd done a really good job of taking the pressure off by putting this band on it. Lo and behold, I wasn't on the band. I was actually on the, the, sci- the nerve running all the way down my leg. And so I pulled it so tight and kept it on there, and it felt so good, guys. I was in so much pain. It, felt, it just felt so good. So I just kept it there. I mean, I was running around, swimming in the pool with the kids, shooting basketball, sleeping with it. So really, for about 72 hours, three days, I just had this tourniquet on my leg, and the little nodule that was on the brace actually was sitting on a nerve, and it, and it killed the nerve. And so the problem with killing that nerve um, is it actually controls my ability to lift my foot. So I, I, if you see me walk, I, I, I can do this, but I can't. I'm actually getting much better. This is significant. I'll tell you how that happened. This time last week, I couldn't do this. And um, so my foot's just, I've just been in a ton of pain, just like not sleeping, a ton of pain. And it's nerve pain, so like ibuprofen and that kind of stuff doesn't help. And I'm scared to death of opiates, and so don't want any of that kind of stuff. And just really, I'm scared to death of them. And so just been in a ton of pain, ton of pain, ton of pain. And so I've been walking funny, and didn't realize this, but I was sharing it last Wednesday uh, night before the elders, meeting with the elders, and Amelia was with me, and it just, it shook her deeply. Like to the point where she couldn't go into Kids Connect because she was just so emotional. And so we went home, and I didn't know why she went home. She, and finally later, she just, she was just really afraid. Like, Daddy, will we not be able to play anymore? Can I not climb on your shoulders? Just all that drama that you know, just makes me really sad, right? And so she's sobbing, and so I'm sobbing and trying to not cry. And she's going, and, and lo and behold, I got in the back of my head, well, you're the idiot who did this to yourself, Josh. Like, you know, just dealing with all those things. And um, so kids have had a little bit of anxiety about it more than I have, and I've just been dealing with the pain. And so last Sunday, um, you know, I believe prayer is true. Definitely believe in prayer warriors and got some here. And so Briggs and I were walking around and right after the first service, uh, Delana Walker, a treasure to our church and a prayer warrior, caught me and um, we walked across the 105 between services and telling her what's going on, told her that, you know, we had a, an EMG where they stuck needles in me and figured out exactly where the location was, which is what we thought it would be. And she laid her hands there and I sat down and we shut the door and she was just praying over me and I'm praying and hearing her pray, and um, Briggs walked in there with me, and I looked over, and Briggs is on his hands and knees, on his knees, hands are crossed, and he is praying so hard, right? No, he's my pragmatic kid. Amelia, she, we're still trying to figure out what's, although Sophie is a five-year-old, she just wants to rip my hair out and scream at me. It's so fun. But Amelia, like, I think she woke up with a, I think she was born with the Spirit of God in her. It's just, just transcend it through her. Briggs is very pragmatic. He's very reasonable, brilliant mind. And so this faith thing is harder for him. He believes in Jesus. He still has his hard time wrapping around like the supernatural peace and how to connect with Jesus. And I'm watching him over there and he is, I mean, he is just locked in listening to the prayers. And I'm going, God, this might be what you're doing here. Like in that moment, I'm going, you're going to heal me. Not because you just want me to feel better, but because you want my son to walk in a faith that knows that you provide. Right? And so that happened on on Sunday, and really slept a little bit better, didn't have as much pain, and then Tuesday night, we have our, um, our elders meeting. Um, it's the first, third Tuesday of every month, and so at the end of it, I have some really great stuff. Can't wait to share it with you this week, and some fun stuff we're working on. Really feel like God's speaking to us. At the very end, so hard for my self-reliance, I sat in a chair, and all, everybody kind of gathered around me, and um, they anointed me with oil, and they just prayed over me and asked God to heal me. Not just for me. They actually said it. I was telling the story of Briggs. Like, would you heal Josh for Briggs? Like, would this be so true for him? And afterwards, I walked in the office and sat down, and 
I mean, I couldn't, my foot couldn't lift. And now, if you can see this, I don't know if you can see it here, like, from that point, my foot's starting to lift. And, I mean, I'm, this is um, miraculous in my mind. It might just be, oh, yeah, science, whatever. But beyond that, the pain's just gone away. Like, I don't, I haven't had a single bit of pain running through my back, through my foot. I mean, I was in the pool all day yesterday. I mean, I'm running around. In fact, on uh, Thursday, we had a meeting at Link University, and my Jeep top was off, and it starts pouring down rain. I'm like, oh, no. So I leave the chapel's office, and I'm running through the, through the grass. I'm like, this feels pretty good. I felt like force when those, you know, braces popped off. And um, <laughs> so first time I've ran in months, and so I still, I mean, I still walk a little funny, still trying to work through that, but there is no pain. So really, really good. And then Friday night, we had Briggs's football party. Uh, so his, his little football team, and um, we're out there, and the kids are swimming, and a couple of adults are standing around, and kids. And I, one of the coaches, it was like Coach Drew, was like, hey, what's going on with your foot? And then Briggs was like, Dad, tell him about the prayer. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can bring all this up in front of the kids. And he's like, no, 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 you got to tell him. you got to tell him about God answering your prayer. And I'm like, who are you, kid? You know, like just this— <laughs> Just this beautiful thing. Like for him, he's like, you've got to share that because that's crazy. That's like winning a lottery ticket, Dad. Like that's what God does. And so you see this and go, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm a doofus. I mean, I, some of this is, my, this is my own self-reliance and pride that got me here, right? And yet God in his graciousness is redeeming that and using it to re- restore not only my own faith, but the faith of my 10-year-old boy. And I'm going, look, the only goal I got in life, I'm not making this up, only goal is I want to see my grandsons and granddaughters lead my great-granddaughters and great-grandsons to Christ. I want to see my grandchildren lead their children to Christ. So I'm going, if we can get that, then something well has happened with our family. They, they got the gospel in them, right? And so in this story, when you see Abraham and Isaac, I'm going, ah, oh, it's just as much for Isaac. When you model faith, it's just as much for your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and your coworkers. It's just not about you obeying. It's about the spectators watching and their faith being strong as a result of just seeing what God's at work, right? So when you walk through a valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil because you know God is with you, there are people watching that and going, I want that thing. I want to know how they walk with that kind of confidence, assurance in the worst, worst parts of the worst parts, right? That's not something this world offers. So in this moment, you see Abraham go through this grievous and egregious experience. And yet what comes out of it is a, a solidified faith for Abraham and a solidified faith for, uh, for Isaac. And in this mountain, they say, the Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, I love this, right? We swear by God, right? He goes, oh, I swear by myself, <laughs> you know? Swear by myself. You want me to put a hand on my Bible? That's silly. Let me just take out my pencil, right? I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. That's what God promises. And you go, why does he promise that? Why does he promise those things to us? When we do that, why, does he, why are those his promises? Really interesting here, verse 18, last one I'll read. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean you're clever and know all the answers, know all the scriptures, can say the books of the Bible in order, went to all the classes. There's only really one, one prerequisite for being a Christian, obedience hearing from God and doing what he says. Throughout the scriptures, you see people do the craziest things because God tells them to do it. Because God always stacks the cards in a way that he gets all the credit. Always stacks the cards where he gets all the credit. And so he's saying, if you obey me, if you obey me. And so, which leads me to, guys, if, you, if you're a believer, there is no greater call in our life. The only requirement is just obey him, which means you gotta listen to him. 
which means you can't spend all your time talking when you pray, and sometimes you have to sit still, even if it feels uncomfortable. It means you've got to open up this word, and I'm not trying to make you feel shame in this. Because the gospel says, and we know it, because there's another dad who sent his only son, whom he loved, to that same mountain. And when the, the sword or the axe went up, it actually came down. And a boy, a son, a redeemer was murdered. And while he was being murdered, he's saying, Father, forgive everybody else. They don't know what they're doing. He literally is going, I will pay the price. God will provide. And what that means is your obedience isn't how God's happy with you. Jesus is how God's happy with you. There is nothing you can do in your obedience to make God love you more. All that was settled on the same mountain that Isaac was on. So the reality is the reason we obey is not to make God happy with us. The reason we obey is because God has proved he's trustworthy and that all he gives is our good gifts. And every time we do what he says, it turns out well for us. Which means as a church, we have to continue to try to figure out how God is speaking, which means you've got to open up the Bible. You've got to get around people who love God and love his word. And we've got to pray. Which leads me to the last thing I'll share with you. Um, we're going to take a six-week kind of reset in Cal. And in the last two weeks of August, I'll have the great privilege of talking to us and teaching through the Bible about what it means to pray. And you're going to be shocked. Prayer is a lot more listening and a lot less talking than we think it is. And so if we're, if we're going to see God do anything and bless our community in any way, it's going to not start because we're clever and we manufactured something. It's going to start because we're hearing from God and obediently doing what he says. And so at the foundation of this, we're going to start praying. And so we're going to teach on prayer. And every Sunday, you're going to have opportunities to pray. And every Wednesday night, there'll be a crew of people who will be here to pray with you and pray alongside you because if that's where God's going to do something, we've got to talk to God and we've got to listen to God. And so that's the plan. So if you're brand new to this thing, the story of the gospel you just saw just then. God says there's a sacrifice that has to be made because the world is broken. And you don't have to argue with the world being broken. And all of us wonder well, how in the world do we reconcile, reconcile ourselves to God? We can't. And yet, the God of the universe sent his only son, who he loved. In fact, you know it. You've seen it. You've seen it even at Eagles games. It's nuts. John three sixteen. For God, oh, he so loved the world. So loved. You know, like, I so loved Julie Roberts. You know what I'm talking about? That so is a really important word there. So loved. All so, so loved, right? For God, so loved, right? That's how teenagers feel about it. So loved the world that he gave his only son, only son, whom he loved. God gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, obeys him, trusts that he's good, will not perish. Nope, not going to die a sinner's death, but will have eternal life. That means starting now for all eternity. That's what's available to us. The story of the gospel is God did all the work and he invites you into all the reward. And so the craziness is in our pride and our self-reliance, we'll say, nope, God, we'll do it ourselves. And I will continue to ask you, how is that working out for you? Because every time Abraham tried to do it himself, it worked out bad. Every time he trusted God, even in the crazy things, God provided. So the challenge of the day you're a Christian, to trust God. If you're not a Christian, to believe that Jesus is God and that he died for you and trust him. So we all kind of got the same marching orders today, and it's really great because the band's so gracious to come and lead us in a song that helps us say, we will trust you, God. We will trust you. We will trust you. And so I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up in just a second. We're going to stand and sing, and we're going to leave here knowing that God only gives good gifts, and he will do whatever he's promised. So Jesus, Boy, I, um, I think about all those kiddos right now in Kid Zone. <laughs> I'm so thankful for them, God. And I'm so thankful for a church that loves them and thankful for hundreds of volunteers who serve in a way that I wouldn't, God, I wouldn't want to. And right now they're hearing the same story about how God 
always provides. God always provides. God always provides. God always does what he says he's going to do. And on that mountain, the mountains of Moriah, the cross of Calvary, God, you provided. And God, you blessed us abundantly. If you did nothing else for us, what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross to pay the price we deserve to pay and offer us the gift that we didn't deserve to get. Like, God, that's enough. And yet, today, you give us your oxygen, you give us your breath, you give us your community, you give us your love, you give us another chance, you give us a hope and a future. God, that's what you do every day. And so, God, for those kiddos there, I pray that that would be firmed up today. And God, I, wait, I pray the way that they'll be firmed up is through a bunch of adults who actually model that. So, God, if those are our kiddos or grandkids, would we model that? If those aren't our kids or grandkids, those are just kids that come to this church and in our community. God, we model that we believe you're true and you're real. And God, I'm just so thankful for Briggs' boldness. In a moment where he wants me to talk about you because you're good, even when I feel uncomfortable. So God, would we be challenged by the confidence and faith of our kiddos. And God, would we grow our faith and where we trust you and obey. And God, would we see the blessings of that. Not just for us, but for our entire community. The same way we got the blessing by your obedience on Calvary. Would others in our community get the blessing by our obedience to you? And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?